This is an AMI podcast. Welcome to Voices of the Walrus on AMI-audio, where professional readers give voice to articles from Canada's best general interest magazine. I'm your host, Roger Ashby. Why are we so obsessed with pumpkin spice? A neuroscientist explains how our brains react to certain flavors. Lori Wilson reads, Ask a Neuroscientist by Catherine Franson, as told to Vanessa Herbat. Catherine Franson is a neuroscientist who works at the Science Museum of Virginia. This is a Q&A column titled, Ask a Neuroscientist, by Katherine Franzen, as told to Vanessa Haratton. I'm Lori Wilson. Since Starbucks launched its pumpkin spice latte in 2003, love it or hate it, the flavor has become synonymous with fall. No longer limited to coffee or pie, pumpkin spice can now be found in a long list of products that includes Pringles, hummus, sausages, and cheese. And the craze doesn't seem to be going away anytime soon. We asked Catherine Franson, a neuroscientist who works at the Science Museum of Virginia, to explain the science behind our obsession with the cozy fall flavor. There have been criticisms over calling it pumpkin spice flavor because often it doesn't contain any actual pumpkin. So what is it? And where did it come from? Pumpkin spice is a blend of cinnamon, nutmeg, cloves, ginger, and allspice that has actually been around for over a century. When McCormick and company first sold a version of these spices together in the 1930s, the idea was that you'd put them in a pumpkin pie or other fall baked goods. Around the advent of the pumpkin spice latte, there were significant developments in food technology that allowed chemists to conjure up more complex flavors that were shelf-stable and could be added to a variety of new products, which boded well for pumpkin spice. Why did the obsession with pumpkin spice really take off? Drinking a pumpkin spice latte is a multi-sensory experience involving our senses of touch when we hold the warm cup in our hands and smell and taste when we take a sip. A lot of people associate taste with the tongue, but our taste buds are responsible for between only 5 and 25% of the flavor we experience. The rest comes from our olfactory system or sense of smell. Whenever something enters our mouths, smell comes up through the back part of our noses and combines with the taste receptors to create a combined flavor sensation. Because smell is only one of our senses directly tied to our limbic system, the part of the brain responsible for emotions and memories, scents can trigger feelings of nostalgia. MRI studies have shown that scents trigger the imagination, and pumpkin spice specifically can make us think of cozy fall things, feasting at Thanksgiving, spending time with family, or celebrating Halloween. If you associate happy memories with those things, you're triggering your brain's positive neurotransmitters, such as dopamine and serotonin, both of which are closely associated with feelings of pleasure, like contentedness, satisfaction, and comfort. The second component of the success of pumpkin spice is that lattes and a lot of baked goods that contain the flavor are loaded with sugar and fat, which the brain responds to by releasing even more dopamine. It's these two things, the immediate reward that comes from the sugar and the prolonged association of reward that comes from the associated nostalgia that make pumpkin spice, scientifically, a nearly perfect flavor. Pumpkin spice returns every year without fail. Do you think it's here to stay? 
The pumpkin spice movement is one of the most phenomenal pieces of neuromarketing that we've had in the past few decades. Fall was right to have something associated with it the way other seasons and major holidays do, and pumpkin spice filled that gap. A pumpkin is really a marketable object. It's colorful and has all of these strong visual triggers that help people evoke the things they love about fall. And, of course, the sugary sensation triggers that warm and cozy feeling people keep coming back for. That was a Q&A column titled Ask a Neuroscientist by Katherine Franson, as told to Vanessa Hervatten. I'm Lori Wilson. You've been listening to Voices of the Walrus on AMI-audio, produced by Don Dickinson. Audio engineering by Bill Shackleton and Matthew Maynard and Jacob Shamansky. The manager of AMI-audio is Andy Frank, and I'm your host, Roger Ashby. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider giving us a rating and review and subscribe for more. Join me every couple weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider.